I'm going to make myself get up and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to force myself to eat this horrible paste that somebody gave me. I'm going to just gut through it. And that get through it mentality is is so aggressive with this sort of aggressive self-improvement project. Like I've got to make myself better. I'm just going to make it happen forcefully. It even just sounds awful. Hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. And today we are talking about movement, moving your body, athletics, sports, and finding and maintaining the joy of movement throughout your life. What's your movement story? I can remember being very small and really loving gymnastics and skiing and sledding and being in the out of doors. But then somehow in grammar school and in middle school, I really lost that self-contact. A lot was going on. There were no sports to speak of that my family was involved in. We were moving a lot. And then in high school, I rediscovered dance and gymnastics, and it really never left me. I never was a good runner, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to someone who is and to see how they think about their life. But I have gone through periods of more or less activity. I've done triathlons. I've done skiing. I lifelong, I mean, not lifelong, but going on half my life now, yoga practice, uh, try a lot of stuff. One year I did a project where I said I was going to try a different sport a month just to challenge my motor skills. And I was bad at most of them, but I had a good time. However, it's a serious question because exercise and movement are two of the most vital things in staying alert and clear and healthy until the day that you bid this earthly body goodbye. And when women of a certain age, you know, when we hit midlife, and uh, men too, menopause, andropause, which we've talked about before in midlife, you know, our hormones change and our motivations change. And sometimes it's hard to keep that exercise and fitness and movement plan going. So I was very inspired by my friend, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. She's an OBGYN, but she specializes in menopause, and she herself, I keep seeing pictures of her finishing running races, and she's just so fit and so strong. So before we listen to her story, maybe give a moment to think about what your own movement story is like, and then listen in as Dr. Susan gives you some great advice from her own journey and from what she sees in her office about hormones functional medicine, the right attitude about exercise and athletics and finding your joy. I begin by asking her, what is her own relationship to sport and what was her own journey to finding her joy in her body? Many people look at me and they sort of assume that I played college tennis or whatever. I did not. I was a chubby youngster and I was so averse to sports when I was young that I used to fake injuries when I was 10 to 15. I would pretend to be injured so I didn't have to participate in the school physical activities because I felt so inept. And so I would actually I would do anything I could to avoid it. So I didn't play sports in school at all. I played field hockey but was terrible at it and really did not feel like I had an athletic gene in my body. And around 16 or so somebody challenged me maybe it was a classroom thing or something to run 
5K. And so that was a challenge that I took up. And I, I completed a 5K and it probably took almost an hour. It was not fast with some other teenagers and just was so overjoyed with my accomplishment because, you know, for this chubby teenager to run 5K was really an incredible accomplishment. And that's just what started my love of running. And it started on a very small scale. And I, I had a group of friends and during my teenage years started running a little bit more and then I lost weight, which I did need to do. So I was excited about that. Got healthier and then throughout college and med school, just continued running just for health, not not really long distances, but really noticed that when I didn't run, you know, three to five times a week, I would notice the endorphin withdrawal. I would um, definitely become more anxious. And so I used it as a healthy way to manage anxiety and premenstrual symptoms and just became part of my life and social. I had friends who did it. I mean, there's so many beautiful things around running. I listen to music and meditate. And later on, when I was a resident of training in OB-GYN, we would be working these 36-hour shifts and really grueling hours that would just leave your body shattered and cortisol was high. It was you know, really unhealthy. So a girlfriend and I decided to run a marathon. And that was a huge idea, but we would get up and do it before our shift or after our shift. And so we ran our first marathon together when I was about 30 and it wasn't very fast. <laughs> and uh, so subsequently she and I just started doing that, you know, a couple of times a year. And so I did a lot of marathons. It just became another hobby that I found so joyful. And then you can't do that forever. It's not good for your joints. I don't recommend it. At some point, you start getting injuries. And that happened to me in my mid-40s. Um, had, you know, lots of different injuries and was encouraged to take up swimming, to take a break from running, which I did, grudgingly. Did thought that I did not like swimming. I was sure that it would be terrible. I went into it with a very negative attitude. And then I started to love it. You can meditate while you're swimming. It's it's uh, almost injury free. It just became a wonderful thing to be in the water, and I you know just loved it. And so that led me to do triathlons. So it was sort of a just a growing joy with different types of movement. And so since um, 2011, I've been doing triathlons regularly and just really traveling. I've been all over the world with them. I met my partner through triathlon. I have all my best friends and it's just so many aspects of community and joy and spirituality that I find in that sport. So I'm still doing it. I'm 55. I'm not as fast as I used to be, but it's just a part of life. Really, really enjoy it. How do you structure your day to train? And just from a time perspective, I mean, you're running a medical practice and you do have children, you know, although they're older, but how do you incorporate that training into your day and how many days a week? This idea that we don't have time to exercise that you're alluding to, I challenge, I think, in, when patients mention that to me a lot too, and we make time for things that we enjoy, right? We make time for things that are important to us. And so I think because I don't find it, uh, it's not, oh God, I've got to fit this in my schedule. It's something I really enjoy doing. You know, finding time to do it isn't difficult. It, it's just, you, we just make time for it because it's a, it's a joyful thing that I like to do. So I do have a, a full-time job that's just eight hours a day. There's plenty of time before and after work to do that. But I think where people get into trouble with finding time to exercise is when they're coming at it as, as something they don't want to do. 
Because I, I don't, I find it hard to make time for things I don't want to do, for sure. But finding time for things I do want to do, it's not difficult. You just get up and do it, and or or do it, fit it in here and there, because it's fun, and and I want to. It's fun, but it's and, it, and it's also a habit for you. So it's not so much about like the not wanting to. I, I think a lot of people just can't even visualize like how do I slide it in? Do I just get up and do an hour? It's it's really more about like what can we learn from your habits would have been honed over many years, and even that's an example of like you just do it, you fit it in wherever. It's it's it becomes a priority or an intention in your day. Yeah, and there's an easefulness to that decision that that I you know, feeling just talking to you about it. It's just not, it's not difficult. And I think it's not difficult because I decided it's not difficult. There's a choice point somewhere where we have a preconception that something's going to be terrible or great, right? And that, that, that flavors the way that we go into it. For example, I was sure that swimming would be terrible. And so my first few attempts were not enjoyable because of my mindset and so how do how do we change our mindset that is tricky it's a it is a habit changing exercise and we all know that takes time but I know for myself if I look at my schedule I've got all kinds of opportunities to not waste time you know many of us spend 30 there's nothing wrong with doing these things but you might spend 30 or 60 minutes watching TV, or 30 or 60 minutes on social media, or whatever other um, activities that you enjoy doing. But if there's something else that you enjoy more, then those things just slip away, because the, the time is there. I, I really don't buy the idea that we don't have time. I think that's a, a lie that we tell ourselves. I think we have time to do whatever it is that we want to do. It's just how we choose to prioritize our time. Like you said, I want to spend my time doing things that I like. Before we were recording, you and I were talking about, yes, we're capable of doing just about anything, right? But I don't like putting together furniture that comes in a box. I, I really don't. So I'm, I'm just going to choose not to do that. And instead of spending two hours fighting with trying to put those screws and things together, I'll pay someone else to do that and go running because I enjoy doing that. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That just came up as an example. But I could do anything. But I choose to do the things I enjoy and I choose to just not do stuff that I don't like. So here's your mantra then for anybody who's risked I'm a person who likes to exercise. I'm a person who likes to run. And because I'm a person who likes to run, it's easy for me to find time. It's not a really a big deal. Uh, yeah. I think there's something in this sort of like the way you talk to yourself and says, because I'm a person who exercises, because I'm an athlete, that's been my new one. Because I'm an athlete, I move every day. And that takes away any pressure. It also sort of ties my activity to my identity. And that's been a big part of it for me. Right. And I can just imagine people listening to this saying, yeah, but I'm not and I hate running. So I, I could say that, but that would feel this, that would not feel honest. So maybe there's a bridge point in there where we, you might be at a place where your mantra is, I'm a person who is 100% committed to taking care of my physical and emotional health. And so this might, this is a step that fits in with that. Sure, I don't like running right now, but being a person who's 100% committed to optimizing my physical and emotional health, I heard and I do believe that running is good for that. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a try, or maybe it's walking. But, you know, start with what feels true, because I, I don't feel good about mantras that don't feel true. Like uh, going back to my swimming example, I was not a person who liked swimming. That would have, I bet I was a person who wanted to continue exercising when I had an injury. And I believed that that was a 
stepping stone in that direction. So, yeah, I think the mantra ha- ha- could be a, there could be a middle one. Um, I'm a person who really wants to lower my cholesterol, and I know that losing weight's a part of that picture. So, or whatever that is. And then if you hate movement or that your story is that you hate movement, maybe that becomes a little bit easier. That could be, that might work. But at some point it becomes easy. You know, when you look at people who are doing these things, if, if they didn't like it, they wouldn't be doing it, right? I mean, you go to watch a marathon or one of these Ironman events or what have you, and there's thousands of people out there doing this. And the first time I watched one, I was like, what the heck are they doing? Like, where did all these people come from that would put in the time to do this like what they just look like aliens to me but they all wanted to be there and which is remarkable and that just speaks to the fact that it could be anybody and it's not just these fit chiseled people and um, when you look at people doing these type of endurance events and not that everyone should do one but that's just my particular passion they come in all shapes and sizes and ages and I did a race uh, two weeks ago and there was an 82 year old woman who finished and another one who was 18, and lots of different body shapes, not just the ones that you would typically imagine. It's really beautiful to see just all kinds of humans enjoying this thing together. So in your professional practice, what do you see as the relationship between a healthy midlife and fitness or sport? Well, it's, I mean, it's almost just a cliche to say that exercise is critical like for our health but it certainly is and that might look like a lot of different things right any type of movement I mean I've got my particular passions but uh, you know I see thousands of women and uh, those women who are sedentary are universally suffering from emotional and physical health issues and those who are not are universally healthier and maybe they play tennis or do yoga or run or bike or swim or dance or whatever it is, but obviously emotional uh, benefits from movement. Um, But as we get older, you know, it's critical to maintain our muscle mass uh, for flexibility and balance. I mean, very obvious things happen when we lose muscle. We lose strength, so we, our vision's not as good. I have to wear reading glasses. It's easier for me to trip over a stick or something and fall, and then I break a bone, and then I'm, you know, then I'm immobilized and health issues start to spiral. And so it's, it's really critical to minimize our risk of those type of things happening. One statistic that I like to remind myself is if we have a hip fracture and we're over 70, 25% of us will die within a year. I mean, just, just that reality that immobilization leads to just a rapid onset of downhill health consequences. And we see that with elderly women who break their hip. We just don't want to do that. I, I spend a lot of time envisioning my future. And so I might look at my mom, who's 89, and has every health issue related to things that we don't want. She has osteoporosis, dementia, no muscle mass. It's very hard for her to move. And I can see myself going in that direction. That would be an option that I could choose, or I could choose a different option. And she didn't have the opportunity to learn about the benefits of exercise and healthy eating and all the things that we know now, hormone replacement and meditation. And she didn't do any of those things because they weren't offered to her. But we have a choice. Like, it, you know, nowadays with the amount of education that we have available, we can choose to go that route. And that is a choice. Or we can choose a different one. And I, I just don't want that. A- apparently now as we're getting older, you know, when you and I are 89 – um, providing the world is still here to support us, I think we'll be in much different uh, state of health. 
than my mother or you know some of your listeners' mothers who are in that uh, generation. In the longevity movement, they talk about how when you add 20 years to a person's life, you don't get the 20 years at the end. You get like five in your youth and in your adolescence and five in midlife and you know five and that sort of it's extending each of these stages out Uh, and I feel that for sure right now what's been piquing your interest what are you leaning in towards in your own research and in your practice oh so many exciting things so I was trained in traditional medicine um, and really and since you and I have known each other I've been moving in this direction but really getting more excited about functional medicine and incorporating that into traditional medicine and for um those listeners who don't know what functional medicine is, I like to think of it just as looking at um, healthcare from a root cause perspective. Here's Western medicine is sort of treating symptoms, often with medications, just putting band-aids over things instead of looking for what the root cause is, which frequently is nutrition or emotional health or physical health or movement or spiritual health, rather than just seeing a patient for five minutes and writing a prescription really figuring out what the problem is at, at its root cause. Actually, that's, it's so fascinating how most medications can be replaced with food, movement, meditation, non-traditional Western medical treatment options. And, and seeing uh, medical care from a wellness perspective instead of a sickness perspective, it just changes everything. And it's fascinating as a healthcare provider to have grown up through this generation of I was doing exactly that just writing prescriptions right and left and then being so disillusioned with the lack of health that my patients had as a result we're really making them sicker and everyone was coming back every year fatter and sicker and more depressed and not any fun to work in that environment let alone to be a patient of that doctor so I was getting sick and fat and depressed as well just like oh god what am I doing and now it's really fun to see people being well and, and becoming more well uh, with interventions that are not harmful and, and are helpful and healthy. Yeah, so it, that's a really fun journey. And I'm not trained officially in functional medicine. There's a fewer than a thousand physicians uh, in the United States who are. Um, so that would be a fun thing to do. It takes a couple of years. So maybe I'll do that but at the moment just really learning about it and reading and what is functional medicine for the people who don't know that's that that seems to me a very urban thing at this point my friends who are in their practice describe it in different ways but uh, looking at health care from the root cause perspective and treating medical conditions as much as possible with natural or uh, non-medical therapies. Now, functional medicine doctors do write prescriptions as well, but that's not first line. That would be a second line after evaluating your diet and nutrition plan and stress levels and spiritual practice and movement practice and relationship health and all the other things that are ultimately much more important than, you know, your lack of an antibiotic or whatever it is that would normally be the prescription. I really think patients do exceptionally well when they have a medical doctor and a functional medicine doctor who are working on the same team and can benefit from both perspectives because there are some you know real health issues that we have I mean, maybe you're diabetic or have high blood pressure or a heart condition or something that n- does require being on a traditional medication but working with a functional medicine doctor as well to look at your nutrition and gut health and spiritual health I mean you really can optimize your health and take a little bit from Western medicine, Eastern medicine, put it all together. It, you know, it's holistic 
Yeah, this integration is a big piece. I was just talking to someone who's working on the spiritual side of fertility and basically saying, look, you can do all these tests, but if there's something like in the spiritual field or in the emotional body that's not addressed, your body's still going to respond in a way that isn't sort of linearly understood by allopathic medicine, but it's definitely at work in your system that your body will create adaptations and limits to its fertility based on your psychological state and your beliefs. Like it'll, it'll create defense systems possibly. And I, ha- I don't, I don't hear that a lot in, in other fields. When, if I, if I went, when I went into the doctor to do blood work after, you know, last summer, there was no conversation, believe me, about sort of what I might be holding in my liver. I'm glad to hear that. No, I, I probably because they, in their defense, they don't know anything about it. And nor did I, you know, not taught anything about this in traditional medical school. So in order to be educated about it, when a doctor like myself who's been in practice for 25 years, you, you know, you'd have to go back to school, read some books, get excited, take some courses. And, and many doctors don't do that. They're still practicing what they were taught 20 years ago. It's a really interesting study uh, that a patient of mine actually brought to my attention. They um, showed that it takes an average of 18 years for traditional doctors to adopt something new into their practice when it's been scientifically proven to be beneficial. 18 years. And so chances are your doctor's doing the same thing that they did 10, 15 years ago out of habit or fear of change or lack of motivation to learn or whatever it is but it's not wise to believe that your traditional doctor is practicing the most up-to-date integrative medicine because they're probably not I wasn't so no judgment but you know the level of medical care that we get in traditional medicine I think is quite poor and we can see it in the statistics of the health of our country where the unhealthiest western country on the planet which is quite amazing considering the resources that we have so we can do much better and you deserve much better if you're listening you deserve much better than what you're getting in a 10-minute visit with your PCP in most cases so I heard you talking earlier that you adjusted your own diet and now you're doing vegetarian and you're doing pretty much carb-free and gluten-free is that right Mm -hmm. and do you think that's a universally recommended a helpful approach or is that unique to you you know so people have opinions and and I'm not unique in that way. I have opinions. I, I certainly think that gluten is bad for every human being. Our systems were not made to eat wheat, and we worked out a way to do it because we're very clever with tools. But wheat is really inflammatory and toxic to our systems, and that's just scientifically true. I don't think there's any human being that cannot benefit from getting rid of gluten. I personally think that human beings shouldn't eat meat uh, for lots of reasons. Um, It would help global warming, if nothing else. And I like animals, and there's lots of other great protein sources. So I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but that's my opinion. And there's certainly a lot of health benefits from it. We do need a lot of protein, uh, and I get tons of protein. I eat 120 grams of protein a day, one resource that I like uh, suggests that we should eat about one gram of protein per ideal body weight. So that's how much that I need. And I can get that quite easily without eating meat. So how are you doing that? I like pea protein. I know it's strange. And some people think it's weird. But I uh, pea protein, it's not made with whey, which is what most protein powders are made with. And I think it's quite yummy. And you can mix it with whatever and drink it. So that's my major protein source. And I do eat eggs if they come from happy chickens. So that's another one. 
Um, and then, you know, proteins and nuts and beans. And I personally don't have any problem with tofu and edamame and all of those kind of things. It's, it's not difficult if you keep it in mind. But you are having a glass of wine. Yes. And I drink wine. Yeah. So listen, it's not that bad, you guys. You're just like making yourself a pea protein shake. You're cooking up some veg. Yeah. You're having a salad. You're having a glass of wine. It's really no big deal. Not a handful enough if you're hungry. It's uh, I don't feel deprived of anything. No, I eat tons of yummy food. I've been vegetarian for since my now 27-year-old was eight. And he walked into the kitchen and he saw a turkey. Uh, he's like, I can see its legs. That's disgusting. I'm never eating an animal again. And the entire family pivoted around his sort of young eyes being so, so clean. Children have these direct heart hits sometimes that remind you who you are. Yeah, my, my vegetarian moment was um, I was eating a hamburger or steak or something. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And petting my dog at the same time. And I had this sudden moment where I realized that I loved animals like so much that I rescue dogs from the SPCA. But then I'm eating a cow and it just it just didn't make sense and I felt there was just a just so much of a disconnect that didn't feel like I was um, living in integrity and I am really big on trying to live in line with what I believe and so I believe I love animals and I'm eating a steak didn't work yeah because I love animals I choose not to eat them very easy right and I you know of course if I was starving I realize humans are higher beings if I was on a desert island I would eat animals but we don't have to like we we you don't have to okay let's pretend a patient walks into your office a new patient let's say she's 52 in menopause she's put on you know some extra weight around the middle which is a common con concern her energy's low you know not sleeping as well as she used to all these 36 symptoms of menopause subsets that are related to health and fitness and she wants to get started finding her body joy again. And she doesn't have your habits, and which have been honed over many years of loving movement. How do you coach her? So I see this patient every day several times. So um, I like checking hormones. I think it's very helpful. I would draw her blood with her permission and check all of her hormones, not just the ovarian hormones, but uh, we'd also take a deep dive into her thyroid health because that could be an issue and check her micronutrient status and vitamins and iron and blood count, kidney, liver function, everything and uh, illustrate to her that her body's not functioning optimally because the patient with those complaints is not functioning optimally. Uh, so once we discover how we can optimize the things that are deficient or overactive in her blood then can create a plan for her that could include hormone replacement with ovarian hormones. I actually take uh, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone myself. My thyroid's underactive, so I take thyroid and then I take several targeted supplements that have been documented to be low and then look at her nutrition, see what she's eating, and then talk about movement. And so when I'm introducing movement for a patient who doesn't have a movement habit, we start really small. I mean, can, can you walk for 30 minutes, three times a week? Maybe we're starting even lower than that, but what, whatever the minimum amount that, uh, that a person can comfortably do. Maybe it's walking for 30 minutes, three times a week. Could, could we commit to that for a month? And then maybe we start adding something else. Uh, but just starting small, you know, with um, a goal to advance that over the next six to 12 months, it's not, it's rare that somebody's going to be 
you know, wanting to go to the gym five times a week when they have been sitting on the couch. But what happens for most people is when, when their system's optimized and they're no longer, you know, having high cortisol, that's a fat storing hormone and have insulin resistance and that's a fat storing hormone and body's just in a state of fight or flight and not burning fat. Once we relax and our hormones are optimized and our nutrition's optimized, we're able to start burning fat again. So she's going to feel good because she's seeing success and the walking's going to get easier and then she's going to want to do it more because she sees it working. And so it becomes a cycle that energizes itself. Not everybody, but uh, most people, I think, who start a plan similar to the one that I'm describing, when you start seeing success, because you will, I mean, you feel so much better, it's very difficult to exercise and follow a healthy nutrition plan when you feel defeated and fat and depressed. I want to watch TV and eat ice cream when I feel like that. I don't want to go to the gym and drink pea protein. So it's not, it's useless to tell a patient, well, just go to the gym five times a week and take animal products out of your diet and eat from 12 to 8. I mean, that that is a very useless advice that the patient will leave and not do any of that. You know, we have to start where we are. And I tell patients, like, we're not going to do any exercise yet. Like, when you feel better in a few weeks, then we're going to start adding exercise because that is going to be easier for you. So let's get you feeling better first. And then we'll add the exercise or movement. I, I call it movement, too, because exercise is a scary word for many people. And I don't use the word diet either. And we'll look at your nutrition. But first, you have to feel better because it, it gets very annoying when somebody tells me or if I tell someone to just go work out, you know, get up and do something. <laughs> when you're depressed and don't feel good, it, it's it's invalidating. We're not listening to the patient saying, I don't, I can't, I don't feel like it. Yeah, I feel like I want a whisperer. I want someone to like, take my hand or I could do this for my friends to like, take my hand, come with me, let's do a little dance, let's do a little slinky movement, put a little music on, you know, like just being coached into like, not coached, coaxed by your friends. Sometimes that helps too. like, just do a little bit. My um, when I was training in teaching yoga, my friend Mark Whitwell used to tell us, you know, don't practice for an hour or 20 minutes, just commit to getting up and taking five deep breaths with your arms going up overhead and coming down. And you just do that. Like, and then you say, Oh, maybe after this third breath, I kind of feel like I want to fold forward. But you follow you just start with that. Just breathe. Just take some conscious breaths and see where it leads you. And instead of trying to impose and dominate the body. And and that that part of the resistance in part is we've been imposed upon and dominated so much of our lives and the body's revolting saying I don't want to do what I told I want to do what I want to do which is seek comfort so you know there's there seems to be some patience and love self-love that that allows the natural movement to emerge in us I feel like we're naturally meant to move and the joy is so great if you just start start small I think that's so true and I love the what you're alluding to about this ag- aggressive kind of self beating thing that we've been doing, like, I'm going to make myself get up and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to force myself to eat this horrible paste that somebody gave me. And I'm going to just gut through it. And that get through it mentality is, is so aggressive with this sort of aggressive self-improvement project. Like, I've got to make myself better. I'm just going to 
make it happen forcefully. It even just sounds awful. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, no, that sounds horrible. So I, I love that that sort of softness around it. Yeah, don't do that. Don't beat yourself up and eat horrible things and torture yourself in ways that feel terrible. We're talking about things that are joyful that you're actually going to love and you're going to see changes that you enjoy and you'll love looking in the mirror and touching yourself and you'll love the way you feel because you've been you're more flexible and you can touch your toes again or maybe you can carry a heavy box that you couldn't carry before just these little things that are so fun to see changing but yeah just yeah the the whole old diet and exercise aggressive thing it's just sounds mean I mean don't do that to yourself that's awful yeah all right so I think that's a good place to end Doctor tells you, don't be mean to yourself. You stop there. We <laughs> yeah, don't be mean to the yourself. Doctor told me not to be mean to myself, that I should just do what I enjoy, move a little bit more. She did say get my hormones checked, but for the most part, she said, I really don't find it difficult to move because I just do what I love. And I think that I've never walked into a doctor's office where they would say, just do what you love, move your body the way you love it. Don't be mean to yourself. I know. Here, go take a hormone test. (laughs) It's so sane. It's so kind. Yeah. And the the other thing, I agree, it is. And then it works because you you will keep doing the things that we love. And that just kind of circles back to what you said at the beginning. How do you make time for it? Well, I don't really make time for it. It just naturally happens because I want to do it. So there's an easefulness around that. It's getting rid of that aggression that I think is so conditioned into us about diet and exercise being this horrible, awful thing. Yeah, that's just a story. And I don't buy it. I think it's um, there's another story that I like better that it's easeful and joyful and it just flows and it happens. And then you start feeling better. So you want to do it more. And then that's just a beautiful way to move into the older seasons of our lives with better health and more happiness and less being mean. Thank you. Great to see you. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can check back at some of our prior episodes. We had Lucia Haran uh, talking about ecstatic dance or five rhythms dance. And we also had Lisa Betz-Lacroix talking about taking up ballroom dance at some point in her mid-50s and get inspired by these women. Uh, I also read the story of a woman named Danielle Cass who began surfing at 50 and how that changed her life. And just to get a sense for what it's like to be a lifelong mover, maybe commit to trying something new in 2023, one sport you haven't tried. I tried Aikido last month and I loved it. I think I might train a little bit in that in the coming year. With all love for you and your perfect mind, body, spirit, may you be free, may you be happy, and may you carry that coherence in yourself out into the world and be an island of peace, power, and prosperity. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman or at rosewoman.com where we make the best intimate wellness products from the inside out, try our ingestibles, and from the outside in, our topicals for the vulva and the vagina and the whole body. And I'd like to thank you all, by the way, for putting the Rose Woman in the top 3% of sexuality podcasts worldwide. I want to express my 
surprise, since so few of these episodes are actually about sexuality, but I guess that's one of the categories we're listed under, and it feels nice to know that you like the show. And especially, and strangely, in Italy. So, grazie. Grazie mille. Grazie mille.